December 7th, 1941, a day that will go down in infamy. You may recall December 7th was the day that the Japanese launched a sneak attack against the U.S. naval base in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, which ushered the United States into World War II. What many people don't know is that at the same time the Japanese were attacking Pearl Harbor, they had also launched a surprise attack on the Philippines, Clark Air Force Base, where our commander of the Allied Forces in the Pacific, General, uh, General uh, Douglas MacArthur, was stationed. And the Japanese attacked Clark Air Force Base and Subic Naval Base, trying to wipe out all of the U.S. forces in the Pacific so that they could have complete dominance and control. The sneak attack caught the Allied forces off guard, and General Douglas MacArthur was forced to flee the Philippines. He escaped and headed to Australia, and when he arrived in Australia, General MacArthur radioed back a message to the Filipino people. General MacArthur radioed back to the Philippines. He declared, I shall what? Return. I shall return. My family and I had the privilege of uh, living in the Philippines for a couple of years back in the 1980s when my parents served as missionaries there. And if you ask the Filipinos who were alive during World War II, they will tell you that they lived for that promise from General Douglas MacArthur. They knew that General MacArthur had promised, I shall return. And it was those words that gave them hope through the dark days of the Japanese conquest of the Philippines. General MacArthur kept his promise and ultimately made his way back to the Philippines and liberated those people. But just like General MacArthur declared, I shall return, so too has our Lord Jesus Christ promised us in his word, I shall return. And the second coming of Jesus Christ is a promise that all faithful Christians have longed for for the past 2,000 years since Jesus assured us that he is coming again. It's a doctrine that's beloved by all true Christians throughout history. In fact, it's a major theme throughout all of Scripture from the Old Testament through the New Testament. The second coming of Jesus Christ is referenced over 1,500 times in the Old Testament. It's referenced over 300 times in the New Testament. In fact, in the Old Testament, you can find the second coming referred to in 27 separate books. In the New Testament, the second coming of Jesus Christ is referenced in 23 books. Friends, this is a major theme in all of Scripture. In fact, only the doctrine of salvation is referenced more in Scripture than the promise of the second coming of Jesus Christ. God has told us that Jesus is coming again. Jesus has declared, I shall return. And today we're going to take a look at this great promise that our Lord has made to us, his people. I want to begin this morning by sharing a quick review of where we've been now in our series on the end times. Remember, our goal in this series has been to encourage us with God's promises 
uh, and give us hope for today as a result of those promises. And we've been trying over the last few weeks to, to really condense this topic of the end times, which can sometimes be very complicated. We've been trying to condense this in a way that simplifies it so that we can all understand these promises and these encouragements that God has given us about these prophetic events, these future events that are going to come to pass. Remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, prophecy is simply history written in advance. And so we've been looking at this history written in advance. We've been talking over the last few weeks about the reality that we are living currently in what is called the church age. This is the the period between the Lord's ascension back into heaven after his death and resurrection and the time when he promises he is going to come again and rapture his church. Jesus has told us that he is going to come and rescue his church before the seven-year period of tribulation that comes upon this world, that period that we talked about last week. We're not going to be here for that devastating cataclysmic time on earth. Jesus says he's going to rapture his church and take us out of this world, saving us from the wrath to come. And we've seen numerous promises throughout Scripture about Jesus' deliverance during that period of the rapture. As we talked about last week, then after Jesus raptures the church, uh, the prophet Daniel tells us that there is going to be a period of seven years, a week of seven years where Jesus is going, where God is going to allow this world to go through a period of tribulation. This is the time when the Antichrist is going to rule and reign over the world. And we saw last week that there are going to be three series of judgments from God upon this earth during this seven-year period. There's going to be three series of judgments, two series of judgments in the first half of the tribulation, a, a, second, a third series of judgments in the second half of the tribulation. And after those period of judgments have come to pass, after the seventh year, Jesus Christ is going to return. Titus 2.13 calls it the glorious appearing. And Jesus is going to return in his second coming. Now, whenever I travel somewhere, one of my favorite things to do is to try to get a big picture overview of the area where I'm visiting. So, uh, you know, if I go to a city and there's a, you know, it's surrounded by mountains, I'll try to go, you know, someplace to a scenic overlook where I can overlook the whole area and, and get a bird's eye view of the terrain. Uh, if, you know, I've been to places where they have cable cars and it's fun to ride the cable cars and you can kind of see over the whole area. Uh, if you ever go to Disney World, for example, you know, you can ride the monorail and, you know, get a big picture view of the whole terrain. Well, today, what we're going to do is we're going to take both that big picture overview of the whole terrain related to the second coming of Jesus Christ, but in getting that big picture overview, one of the things that's great about doing that is it helps you recognize some of the particular things that you want to go and and venture into and explore a little bit more specifically. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to start looking at the second coming with a big picture overview, and then we're going to venture into the specifics of what the Bible tells us is going to take place at the return of Jesus Christ following this seven-year period of tribulation. Now, there's probably no better place to get this big picture perspective on the second coming of Jesus Christ than the teaching of the Lord Jesus himself. 
And in the Olivet Discourse, again, Jesus, we talked about the Olivet Discourse, one of the most important prophetic passages in Scripture found in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Uh, It's the second longest sermon of Jesus that we have recorded in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 24, 29 through 31, Jesus tells us what's going to take place at his second coming. He gives us this big picture overview of these events. Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So again, after this seven-year period of tribulation. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now here, Jesus gives us a a big picture overview of what is going to take place at his second coming. And to help us remember the key points that Jesus shares with us, I've come up with an acronym for the second coming. Wow! Wow! What's going to take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus tells us three key things. He says, number one, the W in the wow, he says his second coming is going to be witnessed by all. There's going to be signs in heaven. And then the Son of Man will be coming on the clouds. And he says that all the earth will mourn. They will see him coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Friends, Jesus says nobody is going to miss his second coming. The whole earth is going to see it. So here's one of the differences we see between the Bible's teaching on the rapture and the second coming. The rapture is going to be almost like a secret event. It's, it's Jesus is going to come for his church, and he's going to snatch us away. He's going to carry us away. And, and only Christians are going to know that that's taking place. The rest of the world's going to basically all of a sudden realize, hey, there's a lot of people missing here, okay? But when the second coming happens, the Bible's very clear. Nobody's going to miss this event, The whole world is going to see the second coming. Jesus says he's going to be coming on the clouds of heaven in great power and glory. This is what he shared during his trials. Remember when Jesus was arrested before his crucifixion. He was brought before the high priest, the Jewish high priest. And the Jewish high priest and the Sanhedrin were questioning Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, the high priest said to Jesus, do you have nothing to say for yourself? Do you have nothing to speak in your defense? And do you remember what Jesus said to the high priest? He said, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus said he was going to return. How was he going to return? He would return coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, the high priest, when Jesus said this, tore his robes. He was shocked. He tore his robes. He was angry. He was shocked. And he was incensed that Jesus would say this. Now, why? Well, because when Jesus said he was coming on the clouds, the high priest would have immediately thought back to the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, the coming of the Messiah, where Daniel tells us that when the Messiah comes, how is he going to come? He's going to come 
given dominion and glory, a kingdom that all people, nations, language should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting kingdom that will not pass away. And how is he going to come? The Son of Man is going to come with the clouds. He's going to come with the clouds. Now, here's the thing. The Jews thought this was a prophecy in regards to the first coming of the Messiah. But what this was was a prophecy about the second coming of the Messiah. Jesus says, I'm coming on the clouds. He tells Caiaphas, I'm coming on the clouds. The prophet Daniel says he's coming on the clouds. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, when Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples and he ascended into heaven. Remember the disciples, what were they doing? They were staring up at the sky watching Jesus ascend up into heaven. And as they're staring up into the sky watching Jesus, what happened? Two men show up in white. Two angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, what are you doing looking up into heaven? Why? Because the same way you see Jesus departing is the same way you're going to see him return. Friends, Jesus is coming back on the clouds. It will be witnessed by all. Nobody's going to miss the second coming of Jesus Christ. The O in the wow. Jesus tells us exactly when the second coming is going to take place. It's going to come on the heels of the tribulation. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after the tribulation, that's when the second coming will take place. Friends, this is exactly what we saw last week. The prophet Daniel told us in Daniel 9, 27. Remember Daniel 9.27, the 70th week prophecy? In the 70th week, that week of seven years, that period of tribulation, Daniel says at the end of that seven-year period, the prince will come. The Messiah will come again. And here Jesus tells us immediately after the tribulation, he will come again. One of the most interesting prophecies in the Bible is the Apostle Paul's verification of this very thing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the second coming after the tribulation. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Remember, people were, were getting all riled up, wondering, did they miss the second coming already? And, and Paul says, look, you didn't miss the second coming. No one's going to miss the second coming. Paul says, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who's he talking about? What's this rebellion? This is the period of tribulation. This is the rule of the Antichrist. Paul says, look at that day of the Lord. The second coming isn't going to happen until these things take place. Until the rebellion comes, until the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. We saw that last week in the tribulation. Three and a half years into the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to enter the temple, set himself up as God over the earth. Do you not remember these things, Paul says? I, when I was with you, I told you of these things. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may re be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. What's Paul talking about there? This person who restrains this tribulation and this antichrist from appearing. Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit. 
It's the Holy Spirit that is restraining these things from taking place. And when is the Holy Spirit going to be taken away? Friends, when the church is raptured out of this world, the Holy Spirit who lives within God's people is going to be removed from this world, and then hell on earth is going to be unleashed. The lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. For the mystery of the lawless one is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So this is an incredible passage because here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, I think I said 5 earlier, 2 Thessalonians 2, we see both the rapture of the church, we see the tribulation and the Antichrist, and then at the end we see the destruction of the Antichrist at the second coming of Jesus. So we have the, the W, witnessed by all, the O on the heels of the tribulation. Thirdly, the last W, wow, there will be worldwide weeping. There will be worldwide weeping. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 29 and 30, he says, Then there will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of, the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Jesus says all the tribes of man, the whole world, will mourn when Jesus comes again. Who are these people that are going to be mourning? Friends, these are the lost people. These are people who did not put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. These are people who are going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, and they are going to realize that they missed out on the one and only way to be saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. And when he comes again, the whole world will see it and no one will miss it and the world will mourn when they realize they missed their chance to put their trust in Jesus Christ. All the tribes and nations of the world will mourn. But there's going to be another group that's going to be mourning at the second coming of Jesus Christ. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, will mourn when they see their Messiah. Their mourning will be a mourning of remorse, a mourning of remorse, a weeping of remorse in recognition of the Messiah they rejected, realizing that they missed out on Jesus when he came the first time, realizing that Jesus truly was their hope, their Savior, their Messiah. But friends, it's very interesting. In the weeping of the Jews, we see one of history's greatest displays of God's amazing grace. For Scripture tells us that even in the end, at the day of the Lord's second coming, God will not abandon his chosen people. God keeps his promises and his covenants with Israel. And one of the greatest displays of God's amazing grace, the Bible tells us that he is going to save those Israelites, those Jews who are still alive at the second coming. Where do we see this in Scripture? Zechariah chapter 12, verses 10 through 13, 1. God says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Ramon in the plain of Megiddo. 
The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves. And all the families that are left, each by itself and their wives by themselves, on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse themselves from sin and uncleanness. Friends, when Jesus returns at the second coming, he is going to pour out his amazing grace on the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And this is is an explanation for us of one of the most mysterious verses, one of the most debated verses in in the New Testament. In the book of Romans, chapter 11, the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, 25 through 28, says this about the Jewish people. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, All Israel will be saved. There are some people in the church who think that this is talking about the church, that the church replaces Israel. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says at the end, all of Israel will be saved. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. All of Israel will be saved. A deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Why? Because God made promises to the nation of Israel, and God keeps his promises. And then in verse 33, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and inscrutable his ways. Friends, God is going to pour out his amazing grace upon the people of Israel at the end of the tribulation, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, and all of Israel will be saved. The Old Testament prophet Hosea tells us in Hosea 3, 4 through 5, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without effort or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Friends, God keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants He keeps his covenants with his people, the Jews, the nation of Israel. So you begin to see why this acronym, WOW, is so appropriate for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The the return of the Lord following the cataclysmic events of the tribulation is going to be nothing less than a spectacular display of Jesus' glory, his power, his amazing grace. It's no wonder Titus 2.13 calls us to wait expectantly for this glorious appearing, the glorious appearing of the second coming. Now, friends, if this wow provides us with the big picture, what are the specifics? What's exactly going to take place at the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, I want us to step away from the big picture, and I want us to venture into the second coming of Jesus Christ together. Let's venture into the specific promises that God has told us are going to take place when Jesus returns at the second, second coming. I've got another acronym for you. We're going, to venture, we're going to venture into the second coming. What's going to take place? 
The V stands for the Valley of Armageddon. Revelation 16, 12 through 16 says this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays away, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Armageddon, Hilmageddon, Megiddo, the mountain fortress that guards the valley of Armageddon, also known as the Jezreel Valley in northern Israel. What does the Bible tell us here? At the end of the tribulation, following the destruction of the Antichrist capital, the rebuilt city of Babylon that is going to be destroyed in the seventh bowl judgment that we talked about last week, the nations of the world are going to be demonically inspired to join the Antichrist in one final assault against Israel and her returning Messiah. And they're going to gather for this battle in the valley of Armageddon. This is what God tells us. The valley of Armageddon is a massive valley in northern Israel. And John in his revelation tells us that all the armies of the world are going to assemble there against the Messiah, against Jesus and his people. The second thing we're going to see in the second coming, the enemies of God are going to ravage Jerusalem. In Zechariah 14, 1 through 2, in the Old Testament, prophet Zechariah says, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Friends, what's going to take place? As the nations of the world are gathering for the final battle of Armageddon, there's going to be one last assault on the city of Jerusalem. Why? Because Satan hates the Jewish people. He hates Jerusalem, the city of God, and he's going to unleash his full wrath against it at the end of the tribulation. And just when it seems as if Jerusalem is going to fall, her deliverer will return. The N stands for the name above all names. The name above all names is going to return. Revelation 19, 11 through 14. As Jerusalem is surrounded by its enemies, we're going to look and therefore heavens, the heavens will be open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. It's very interesting, friends. As Jerusalem is surrounded, as the armies of the world are gathered for battle, Heaven will open, and Jesus is going to appear in full power and glory, riding on a white horse, followed by the armies of heaven, clothed in white. Friends, remember when Jesus came the first time, he came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. 
a donkey, humble and lowly. The next time Jesus returns to Jerusalem, he's returning in power and glory, and he's going to be riding on a war horse. And his eyes are going to be like flaming fire, John says in his revelation, in his vision of this event. What does that mean? Friends, Jesus' eyes are going to see everything in true discernment, in true justice. He's going to see everything for as it really is, and his judgment against this fallen, wicked world will be fully just. He's going to judge the sin and evil of this world. John tells us his robe will be dipped in blood. Why? Because he's coming as a warrior. He's coming to bring judgment on all those sinners and those who've lived in rebellion against him. The armies of heaven who are with Jesus are going to be dressed in white. Who are these armies of heaven? Friends, these are the Christians. These are those who were raptured out of the tribulation. These are the Old Testament saints who God will save in the end. And they're going to return with Jesus clothed in white. Why? Why clothed in white? Well, remember last week, they're coming from the marriage of the Lamb. They've just been a part of a marriage ceremony. They've just taken part in the marriage supper of the Lamb. They're dressed in white. They're clothed in the robes of Jesus Christ's grace. They're not wearing army fatigues for this great and final battle. Why? It's because the armies of heaven are not going to lift a finger. We're not going to have to fight. Because Jesus is going to do the fighting. He's the one whose robe is dipped in blood. The next thing we're going to see at the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus is going to tread upon the Mount of Olives. Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 through 4. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. The heavens are going to open up. Jesus is going to return riding on a white horse. The armies of heaven are going to follow him. All the world is going to see this take place. And Jesus is going to land upon the Mount of Olives just to the east of Jerusalem. The picture you see on the screen behind me is taken from the top of the Mount of Olives. This is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where Jesus and his disciples went to pray the night of his arrest before his crucifixion. This is where Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection from the dead, the Mount of Olives. And John and the Old Testament prophet Zechariah tells us that when Jesus returns, he will stand upon the Mount of Olives the very same spot from which he ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. He's going to return just as he promised, and he will stand there on the Mount of Olives overlooking Jerusalem, and the whole world is going to recognize that Israel's deliverance has come. And then what's going to take place? After this, we're going to see the unleashed fury of the wrath of God against the forces of the Antichrist. Revelations 19, 15 through 21 tells us, from Jesus' mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh." Friend, it's what's going to take place. When Jesus returns, he's going to stand upon the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is going to destroy the armies of the Antichrist simply by the power of his word. Friends, notice there really isn't going to be any battle of Armageddon, is there? There's not going to be any battle. Jesus is going to speak by his word, and he is going to slay all of his enemies. All the armies of the world assembled are no match for the power of the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. The beast, the Antichrist, and his false prophet are going to be captured by Jesus, thrown into the lake of fire where they're going to be tormented forever. The armies of the Antichrist are going to be slain by the sword of the Word of the Lord. The birds of the air are going to come and gorge themselves on the flesh of God's enemies. Friends, understand, there's only going to be two meals at the second coming of Jesus Christ. There's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb for those who trusted in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and there's going to be the feast of God, the feast of vultures. When that day comes, you want to make sure you're at the right feast. This is why the message of the gospel is so important. John 3, 16 through 18, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, what you do with Jesus matters. You're going to be at one of two suppers when the Lord returns the second time. You're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. You're going to be riding on a white horse with the armies of heaven following Jesus in his return. Or you're going to be a part of the feast of vultures after Jesus slays all of the enemies of God. Friends, make sure you RSVP for the right feast. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him as your Savior and Lord. Following the unleashed fury of God, we're going to see the restraining of Satan. Revelations 21 through 3 tells us that after this battle of Armageddon, when Jesus destroys the Antichrist and all of his armies, John says, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. Following the death of the, ant- the defeat of the Antichrist and his forces assembled at Armageddon, an angel from heaven is going to seize Satan, 
This is probably Michael the archangel. And Satan is going to be bound and thrown into the pit where he will be restrained for a thousand years. This will be during the millennial reign of Jesus on earth. Next week, don't miss next week, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick's going to be here preaching on the millennium. The greatest period of peace and prosperity that this world has ever known since the time of Eden. It's going to be the time where Jesus rules and reigns over the whole world, where we as the church rule and reign over this world with him. It's going to be an incredible experience. Two weeks from today, then, we're going to look at Satan's final judgment. He's going to be released from the pit, and God is going to once and for all time judge Satan and all the wicked and evil and those who didn't trust in Jesus. The last thing we're going to see at the second coming of Jesus Christ We're going to see Jesus enter the temple. Friends, this is incredible. Ezekiel 43, 1 through 7, tells us that after the defeat of the armies of the Antichrist, John was led to the gate, the gate facing east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the Chebar Canal. And I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard one speaking to me out of the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the people of Israel forever. And the house of Israel shall no more defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their whoring and by their dead bodies. Friends, Jesus is going to enter into the temple. He is going to rule and reign over this world from the temple in Jerusalem, the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And he is going to enter that temple by the gate facing east. Now, this is a very interesting detail. Why is this such an interesting detail? Well, friends, the prophet Ezekiel shares an incredible prophecy with us. Ezekiel chapter 44, 1 through 3. Son of man, nope, then he brought me back to the outer gate, to the sanctuary which faces east. And now notice, the gate was shut. And the Lord said to me, this gate shall remain shut and shall not be opened. No one shall enter by it, for the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it. Therefore, it shall remain shut. Only the prince may sit in it to eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by way of the vestibule of the gate and shall go out the same way. Now, friends, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came on Palm Sunday, he came down the Mount of Olives and he entered the temple by the eastern gate. It was open 2,000 years ago. But the prophet Ezekiel says when the Lord comes, the gate's going to be shut. It's going to be sealed shut. And no one's going to enter that gate until the Messiah comes. Well, has the gate been shut? When? How? Friends, this is an incredible story, an amazing fulfillment of God's prophecy. If you go to Israel today, if you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look at the eastern gate today, the eastern gate has been sealed shut. When was it sealed shut? In 1517, the Muslim Turkish conqueror, Suleiman the Great, conquered Jerusalem and claimed it for the Islamic Empire. And Suleiman the Great started hearing rumors throughout Jerusalem amongst the Jews that their Messiah was coming to deliver them. 
And he was told that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to enter through the eastern gate. And so Suleiman the Great, 500 years ago, sealed up the eastern gate to the Temple Mount. And not only did he seal the gate, but he put a Muslim cemetery right in front of it, thinking that no faithful Jewish man would ever dare defile himself by walking through a Muslim cemetery. And if you go to Jerusalem, to this day, the cemetery is still there, and the gate is still shut 500 years later. And friends, you know something? This gate is going to remain shut until the Lord comes again at his second coming. And as King David prophesied in Psalm chapter 24, 7 through 10, lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Friends, when Jesus returns, those gates are going to be lifted up, and the King of glory is going to come in. Understand this, friends, God's prophetic word always comes true. History is his story. The Lord literally holds the future in the palm of his hands. And friends, let me ask you this morning as we close. If the Lord holds the future in the palm of his hands, don't you think they're big enough to hold you as well? I think they are. We need not fear the future. We need not worry about tomorrow. God has promised us what's going to take place, and we can be a people of hope. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great promises you've given us in your word, promises of the second coming to, to give us hope and encouragement and assurance. I pray that we would live faithfully with the time that you give us in this world in light of these promises, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with all who need to hear it so that they too can be a part of these great events as one of those coming on the clouds of heaven with the Lord. Jesus, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your amazing grace. We pray all these in your great name. Amen. Friends, let's stand for our benediction this morning from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.